the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick and mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick and mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today we have a very special guest, David Weisman, co-founder of Little Sesame. David, welcome. Thanks, great to have me, excited to be here. I was reading a little bit about Little Sesame, and of course right now we're in the middle of, uh, still in the, in the middle of a pandemic trying to get through that as a country. But hearing your story and hearing how, you know, how you guys have been able to be resilient throughout the pandemic was very, you know, touching to me especially. And, and I wanted to just, uh, you know, have you tell our, our listeners the story of uh, Little Sesame, how you got started and, and how you guys are riding, uh, riding the pandemic train. Little Sesame started with an underutilized private dining room at one of our restaurants. We were trying to figure out what to do to make the best use of that restaurant because in the retail and restaurant business, you need to squeeze as much revenue per square foot as you can. And my business partners, who are my business partners this day, Nick, remembered when he cooked up in New York, some of the best times he would have would be after his shift, he would go with a good friend of his at the time, Ronan, and they would sit on a bench and eat hummus. And that moment of connection and kind of sharing was very authentic to them. So we said, why don't we try and do an Israeli style hummus shop in the United States? Because, you know, the way hummus is enjoyed in Israel and really all over the Middle East, it's enjoyed in the center of the table. It's not a snack to dip crudite in. It's something to gather people around and it's really the very nourishing center of a meal. So that's something we really wanted to focus on. We opened our store with little to no fanfare, our little pop-up, and we thought we'd have maybe 40 people and there were 100 people out lined up outside the first day. So we thought maybe we have something. We decided that we were going to focus on this. We closed our other restaurant to really, you know, talk to our investors to really focus on growing this. And we opened our first two stores in the last 18 months and everything was going great. And then one day, you know, we start hearing this ominous reports of this virus coming and that kind of changed everything for us. Absolutely. I think it changed uh, the world and especially the United States, I think, uh, has been getting uh, hit a little bit harder. Uh, What are your locations right now are in Washington, D.C.? Yes, we're in Washington, D.C. We have two locations. Uh, they're both in you know, the central business district. It was kind of a quick working lunch for a lot of people. They really enjoyed kind of one of our big primary goals with Little Sesame was to give people an escape. Because when you take you know, warm pita and you're ripping it into hummus, you can't really be on your phone. So it's kind of an oasis for your day. And we thought it was great for the working crowd. That's awesome. Uh, a lot of the people that write in to us ask about is, you know, uh, how, do, how do we weather... Uh, this, you know, COVID-19 storm and, and, and tell us about other business owners and how are they doing it. Do you mind sharing your story of how you've been impacted and, you know, what you guys have done as, as a result? Of course, I think, you know, it's really a story of our team's resilience. And I think in any crisis, you really need to draw kind of on the capital and goodwill that you've built up over the years. And it was very important for us. And this is why, you know, I would say to other business owners, this culture is so important because in a crisis, you're really relying on everyone. But for us, we shuttered our shops, you know, Friday, March 13th, we took a deep breath as a team and we said, look, this is an unprecedented crisis. And then it really becomes going to, well, what are we good at? What's our core competency and what's the need? How can we help? 
And for us, we knew our core competency or what we're good at is we can make meals really healthy meals quickly and efficiently. So he said, that's what we're good at. That's what we can do. What's the need right now? And we saw with all the schools and social services closing that there was going to be a real challenge in a lot of the food deserts in D.C. And a lot of the services that children were getting through schools were going to be cut off. So he said, we need to feed our community. This is a city that supported us. We're fourth generation Washingtonians, and this is something we're good at. And that mission is also so critical because once you figure out what you're good at, you need a purpose because it, there's going to be hard times ahead. So the, that day, Friday, we closed the store. Monday, we served our first meal. Next week, we got up to 500 meals a day. And now we've served over uh, 75,000 people. That's really incredible. What changes have you made? You know, uh, you talked about some of them, but what changes have you made, I guess, in the last like few months that you think are, are here to stay? We spend, and I, I talk to a lot of operators, as I'm sure you do, everyone's beating their head against the wall. You know, what's going to be the future of the business after COVID? And my view is I think it's really accelerated trends that were already existing. I think we always knew and you read about going beyond the four wall and driving revenue outside of the restaurant, and that's even bigger. I think a trend that's really going to be here to stay is how do you meet the customer where they are? And where they are in the pandemic time is different because it's not even physical proximity. It's also how do you meet them where they are mentally? What's the risk tolerance? We segment you know, our view of uh, potential customers or people, that's another word for potential customers, is they have... <laughs> different levels of risk tolerance. You have your low risk tolerance. These are a lot of, you know, your younger kids that are in college or in their mid-20s that are willing to go out and kind of live their life. And maybe they need to be reined in a little bit from doing that. And then you have your medium risk tolerance people, and then you have your high risk tolerance. So really, it's how do we meet those customers where they are mentally? And, you know, for your high risk tolerance people, that's meeting them at home, building up your delivery offerings. We started doing meal kits. I think that's here to stay. I, I think People are learning to cook. I think they're liking it. I think once everyone gets back to work, they're going to still need the convenience of a restaurant meal. But people, I think, want to gather people around the table. That impulse hasn't changed. So it's how do you meet the customer where they are right now? Absolutely. What are some thoughts about, you know, again, post-pandemic, of course, acceleration of some of the stuff you talked about. What are your plans beyond that? Do you guys have plans to expand the business? Or how are you thinking about uh, Little Sesame? We're certainly, you know, strategizing. We've taken this time. We've Close, you know, we're doing the community meals and the outreach and we're working on kind of doing provisions in and home stuff from the other store, our Golden Triangle store. And we want to take a deep breath and kind of figure out what can we do in the short term that would be value add in the long term. So I think in the long term, we're certainly hoping to grow. We're, we're looking to grow. I think people like our product. Our product has been enjoyed and people are still going to eat hummus. They love hummus. They've been eating it for a thousand years. They're still going to eat it. We think ours is pretty good. People seem to agree with us. So really it becomes how do we change our distribution to meet the people where they are? Is it in-home distribution? Is it, you know, our restaurants are in the central business district? That is that going to come back? How long are people working from home? Let's try and maybe open some stores in some neighborhoods. So we're definitely looking to grow. We're hopeful to grow. I think we're not out of the woods yet. I don't know the future. I write down notes in my iPhone, you know, those 2 a.m. kind of thoughts. I try and capture them and I look back over them and it's valuable. I think the beginning of March, I'm like, ooh, we need to revise economic models down 25% for the pandemic. So my crystal ball is always a little off, but I think it really is just continuing to try and meet people where they are and innovate on product and just kind of figure out how to do your distribution in this new world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just looking at your history, it seems like you uh, initially went into law and then you know, kind of transitioned over into the restaurant world. How did that transition happen? It's an interesting story. I wanted 
you know, like a lot, I went to undergrad and then I always wanted to kind of be a lawyer. I wanted to be a sports agent. So I got hooked when I saw Jerry Maguire and lived that and was able to work at a sports agency for a couple of years after law school, which was one of the best things I ever did because now I'll never regret not working in that industry. And my business partner, Nick, got hooked into consulting and roped into consulting because of his knowledge of kind of young food scene and trends. And he knew that I'd specialized in business and business law. And that was kind of where my focus was and what I wanted to do. So we started this company. We were hustling, consulting. I had always loved food. I had waited tables, bartended in college, you know, worked the door at some places to help get through law school. So it was always something that interests me, but I still felt like I had this law degree and I needed to do something with it. So I was interviewing for legal jobs until I had my epiphany. I was sitting across from a gentleman. He said, look, we could stop this interview right now. I'm not going to hire you. I said, well, that's on one level disappointing. On the other level, I, I respect your brevity and getting to the point. Do you mind if I ask why? And he said, oh, I looked at your resume and I look at what you're doing now. You'd be crazy to be a lawyer and not follow this through. I said, you're right. I was young. I, I wasn't married. I only had my own mouth to feed. I like ramen. And a good thing about being in the restaurant business, there's a lot of hard things is you can generally feed yourself when you're in this business. So I decided to go through and do it. And my law degree, you know, a question I get asked a lot is, do you feel like you wasted your law degree? And I tell people, absolutely not. A law degree is a degree in analytical reasoning and thinking and figuring out how situations are distinct from one another. And it's really a disciplined decision-making approach. And, you know, aside from that, we've had private placements that I've been able to lead. We've had multiple lease negotiations, labor law. So I'm definitely happy I made all those choices. I'm happy I went to law school and I'm happy I decided to go out and instead of being an agent, be a principal and kind of strike out on my own. That's a great story. What, uh, you know, after you, you know, decided to start Little Sesame, how, how did the name come about out of curiosity? That's a great question. I wish I remember. I think I thought it up. My business partner thinks I thought it up. Okay. You know, Chuck Close from famously wrote, you know, in his book, uh, Sex, Drugs and Cocoa Puffs. The one yep. question, <laughs> the one question every band hates is how does your name come about? I will tell you to us the origin of the name. And where it is, is a lot of people don't know hummus is a lot like baking bread. It's very simple, very few ingredients, but it's a lot about process, ingredients, and technique. And that's something we've always been focused on. You know, we source our tahini from the West Bank. We source our chickpeas from Montana directly from a farmer that a lot of people don't do. And one of the things you need to have in hummus is tahini. So it's that little bit of sesame that transforms your chickpeas into hummus. Makes sense. Yeah, I asked, uh, I asked the name because, uh, you know, my previous background, it's all about branding and, and, and all that good stuff. So it's, it's always interesting. It's such a, it's a very good name. Uh, that's why I asked how it Oh, thank you. About, so. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're, we're, pretty, uh, we're pretty happy with it. I think it has a nice, nice resonance. So, you know, I'm, I'm proud of it. I thought of it. If Nick's listening, he's going to be pounding the table and say, no, I thought of it. <laughs> it's a collaboration. <laughs> you both get credit. That's great. I think last year, Little Sesame had an article in Business Insider about how you're looking for a fundraise and, and to really kind of grow the company. And of course, I know the pandemic has put things uh, to a little bit of a, of a standstill here as, as all of us try to figure out what's next. You still have those aspirations to raise money and, and be able to you know grow uh, into multi-locations. I think you, you, you started to talk about that a little bit, but I wanted to see what you know the future aspirations are as things open up. We definitely have those aspirations. I think something that's very powerful for us and and again, you know, it's a mission, as we talked about in the pandemic, I think resilience in this business and any business is defined by mission. And for us, you know, we really believe in the, kind of the, the power of the chickpea, the power of the shared meal. And it's something we want to bring to a lot of people. I think getting people to eat more hummus is a net good. We were, it was one of the best experiences in my career is we were invited 
uh, when Barack Obama had South by South Lawn, we were invited to be one of the food vendors there in the South Lawn. And we were invited to do that because chickpeas are a nitrogen fixing crop. So they take carbon out of the atmosphere. So they help fight global warming. They're also is befitting a crop that grew in the Middle East, a rainfall crop and don't need irrigation. So they're very good for the soil. It's, you know, eating healthy is something that's great for all of us. And uh, giving people affordable all the sources of alternative protein are something that we're very passionate about. So we love to grow. People, again, seem to like our product. So I'd love to give more of it. For us also, it's like the vegan vegetarian thing. I'm not I love that lifestyle, but, you know, some of these alternative meat burgers, I, I believe in the mission and I think it's great and definitely eat an impossible burger. It saves a lot of water. It's it, But for me, it's like I want people to eat vegetarian and vegan and kind of eat in a real authentic way. Or, you know, we we sell a chicken hummus bowl or, or not and just enjoy hummus as the way it's meant to be eaten. So we're definitely looking to grow. I kind of, we liken this internally in our darker moments to like, this is kind of like the hunger game for restaurants where everyone's trying just to survive. So I think we're coming out of survival mode. We were very careful that everything we tried to do in the pandemic was going to give long-term value, which is why we focused on our in-home provisions out of one store and why we focused on really serving the community. Because I think, again, that goodwill and just doing the right thing and giving our staff a strong mission will set us up for the long-term. So we're definitely hoping to serve more homeless to more people and put it into more people's hands. That's awesome, David. One of the questions that comes up from operators is, and, and this is why, you know, your story and some others that I'm speaking to, you know, the story is very touching is because there's operators out there that have gone through, you know, the first shutdown in some states and, and the second shutdown, and they were able to get the fir- uh, through the first, but the second, you know, mentally, you know, uh, they're, they're not in a good place. And so what they, what they look for is other, you know, like-minded operators that have gotten through it to give them advice. What, what advice can you give these, these operators? Aside from being able to, you know, stay strong and get through it, are there things that you did and adopted that you think people can learn from? Absolutely. I mean, I think the first thing advice I would give and advice I've gotten and give to other people is this is really, truly, you know, an unprecedented time. No one could have planned for this. So it's okay to be not okay. And it's any decision people make is fine. You know, we happen to, to find a path that worked for us, but I wouldn't want people to say, oh, how could I, I not see that? I mean, I think you really, people need to be kind to themselves and, and understand that everything they're doing and they're trying to do is okay. As for us, I think the advice I can give is focus on your core competencies, give yourself and your staff a mission, a reason to get out of bed. Obviously on the ops financial side, you need to start cutting as much fixed costs as you can and move as many of your fixed costs to variable costs. I think you need to draw on the relationships that you have, hopefully with a landlord who will work with you and transition you to a percentage rent. You need to try and you know right size your labor and, and operate in a labor environment. I mean, that to have to furlough our staff broke my heart. I mean, we, we again, kept them on for a month at full salary because we thought we could ride through this. And once we realized it was going to become a little longer, we had to let some people go on furlough. And our goal kind of in our North Star is we need to build the company and get back so we can bring those people back that have supported us. And the federal aid has certainly been helpful bringing people back. And as demand brings people back, that's great as well. But you, you got to cut those costs and you, you got to try and survive and you got to be humane and remember that it's your staff that's going to serve you when you get out of this crisis. There's no point, you know, just surviving if you can't thrive. So everything you do in the short term, you should really think about the long term. Oh, totally agree. Totally agree. That's awesome. That's awesome, David. Any last words for our listeners and anything that you you would suggest as advice? Again, I would say find your your mission, find 
what motivates you, find what you're good at in, in any time, and especially in a crisis, uh, bring that to bear and bring that to work. Awesome, David. Before we let you go, uh, I always like to ask this kind of at the end, are there uh, you know, fun things or, or favorites in Washington, D.C. that you recommend people checking out if they, if they visit? Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely. I mean, check out Little Sesame. It will be the best hummus of your life, but uh, you, can't <laughs> Absolutely. Eat you can't eat hummus for every meal. Our, our friends at Call Your Mother are doing great bagels. The Dabney's great. Sushi Capital is like a great little omakase sit-down, unassuming spot. Compass Coffee is great coffee. I mean, there's a lot of great things to explore. Certainly, I think one of the great things about living in D.C. is there's a lot of outdoor things. You know, we're so blessed living in the city. If you want to go for a run, you can run around the mall and the monuments. And I definitely would go look at that. It's really, you know, it gets a bad rap from the people that, you know, oh, I rail against Washington. But remember, like the rest of the country sent those people here. We live here. And it's a great city for those that live here. Yeah, absolutely. That's great, David. Thanks again for your time. Appreciate it. I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. And again, appreciate you taking the time with us today. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. To find the resources mentioned in the show and detailed show notes, head over to radiant.com slash podcast.